reading from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to meet them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Hello. Um, my name's Danny, if we haven't met before. Um, God has given me the privilege of uh, employment in a public hospital, um, which uh, is often a challenge and also often a blessing. Um, and about six months ago, uh, I, it was about 3am, um, I was in a bay with a man who was Indigenous and also um, addicted to methamphetamines. He was in a bed next to another man who um, had had a heart transplant 10 years ago um, and thought that we were sitting by a poolside and was very confused. Opposite him was a man who um, is in the corporate world and had had a heart attack, um, likely related to the stress from his job. Um, He was telling me how many houses he owned and how many boats he had. And um, amidst this strange intersection of classes, um, I, I started to smell burning. <laughs> and um, naturally, I sort of went out to find what it was, walked down the hallway, um, and my colleague was standing opposite a bathroom door, and there was smoke bellowing out from underneath the bathroom door. Um, and <laughs> this gorgeous man was knocking on the bathroom door saying, excuse me, sir, please, can you let me in? (laughs) And the patient on the other side had barricaded the bathroom door 
and lit a bag of medication on fire. Um, and it was quite a night. We then evacuated half the ward. And if you want to hear the rest of that story, I can tell you later. Um, but if you're in the medical field, uh, these events might not come as a surprise. When I first addressed that colleague and offered to help, his initial response was, I'm fine, which he obviously wasn't. And I wonder tonight, as you've come into church and a friend has asked, how are you? You might have instinctively said, I'm good. Two thumbs up. I'm good. I'm well. Things are going well. When in fact, perhaps there's smoke bellowing out from underneath your bathroom door. By chapter 14, the gospel narrative of Matthew is deep within the ministry of Jesus where he is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. In this time, we see generally three groups. The enemies of Jesus, primarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, crowd, <laughs> the crowds who were fans of Jesus but not followers. They wanted the benefits of Jesus without an authentic relationship and allegiance. They wanted the gains without the gym. They wanted the hype without giving their heart. And then the disciples, those who trust the loving Lord as their saviour. It's not unlikely that these three groups are here tonight in some way. I ask you, where would you put yourself? Where are you? Do you have faith in God? Who is Jesus in your life? Do you have faith in God? Or do you have faith in God meeting your own agenda? The disciples are out on this boat struggling to find refuge. Consider how they've left every comfort and familiarity in order to follow the Lord. They've left their jobs, their families... And they're exactly where they were supposed to be. They were obeying Jesus, doing exactly what he had told them to do. They weren't being punished. They were struggling through a dark storm, but they were obeying the Lord. The disciples trust and obey Jesus even when they don't understand, even when it's dark, even when they're suffering. Because he is a good and he's a loving king. Do not be misled. Darkness does not always mean that God is punishing you or that he is absent. The disciples in this boat are in a place of obedience. The standard of obedience to God is not everything making sense to us. We must trust him and not lean on our own understanding. We must know that his love is for us and we live out of love for him. The storm was an opportunity for Jesus to showcase his greater glory over the wind and the waves. The primary means of the trial was the primary means Jesus used to display his glory to them. The faithfulness of his promises, the realness of his hope, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Consider what that means for a moment. Peace that surpasses all understanding. This is how we know he can carry us through it all when we can't see what's next. We are all teetering on a relationship with darkness, whether we are walking into it, consumed by it right now, or maybe you're walking out of it. 
Nobody here is a stranger to suffering. Nobody here is a stranger to sin. In our fallen world, we are saturated in the waste products of man's broken nature. There is suffering to be found on every doorstep, every house, globally. We must allow Christ to act as a light in our lives. We see poverty on an incomprehensible scale and we find darkness. A third of Pakistan is underwater. Darkness. You might have been exposed to childhood abuse. You haven't spoken about it. Darkness. Your spouse might unexpectedly become critically ill. Darkness. You work a job and all of a sudden it's gone and you face crushing financial burden. It's darkness. You work a job where you're overworked and underpaid. Darkness. Your sympathetic nervous system is always in overdrive. You're studying, working, hustling. Darkness. Your mother is given one year to live. Darkness. This world will leave you empty, spiritually starved, heartbroken, dissatisfied and angry. One of the only things we can be sure of is that we will suffer and fall short. Friends, God doesn't have an interest in the all put together and the all figured out. God has a desperate interest in the meek, the broken and the lost. Jesus doesn't just come to care for those who are marginalised, discriminated, hurting, Jesus was the discriminated. Jesus was a Galilean Jew. He is no stranger to suffering. He is no stranger to darkness. Jesus is not repulsed by your struggles. He does not mock the disciples' lack of trust. He does not anger. He does not patronise. It is, in fact, by these struggles that he is drawn to them with an unwavering love greater than the unrelenting waves. The storm and the disciples are both in his hands. The darkness teaches us how desperately meek and needy we are, but how gloriously sufficient and faithful he is. Whatever you're wrestling with now, now is the time to bring it into light and say, I believe that God can accept me, can forgive me and can use me. I'm not going to allow these things to drown me anymore, but I'm going to bring them into the light. Because we know the character of God and he's inviting us to minister with him in a a hurting world. I see so often in our culture phrases like, hate will not win or love will win in awful circumstances. And it's a great message, but only when it's meant by the church. Anyone else preaching that message doesn't have a foundation to stand on. We, in Scripture, know that we have a lens through which we can see the world. We are told that every person, black, white, single, married, rich, poor, pretty, ugly, funny, not, 
have dignity in the sight of God and all are worth dying for. You can't find that truth anywhere else. 2 Chronicles 20:12 for we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you we are going to extend grace to one another because the blood of Jesus Christ is the only certainty that we know We have the one thing that the world needs the most. We must push on in faith together and hold on to relationships with one another. That is where the most hurt happens and that is where the most healing can occur. We have the perfect love of Jesus Christ displayed on the cross. We have something to stand on. My prayer is that you would worship You would trust and you would obey him even when it is dark. Lord, help us. Forgive us for our insensitivity to brothers and sisters on different walks. Would you make us humble? Make us more like your son. We know that even in looking at you, we become more like you. Would you hear the prayers of our congregation as we say, Lord, we are here. All we have is yours. We thank you that in Christ we have a sure and steady anchor for our souls. We thank you that that Christ is the mediator that means we can draw near to you. And we draw near because we are needy in every way, Lord. But we thank you that we have a saviour that is sufficient sufficient through it all with hope and light you reign over all though my heart may fail you lord will always be the same you our god never fail in the mighty and matchless name of jesus christ we pray amen the torn flesh of Jesus on the cross represents the stripes that he bore for us. Scripture says that his stripes, it is by his stripes that we are healed. Those stripes, the payment, those stripes are for us so that we can live now. They happened then so that we can live in freedom now. My sin was atoned then so that I can experience liberty and freedom in forgiveness now. The word communion refers to an act of sharing, to hold something in common, a partnership, a fellowship. Friends, let us not be reminded, reminded, blinded by a legalistic religiosity. God is infinitely perfect. and We never will measure up. There is nothing that we can do by works that will ever measure up. We simply cannot Our efforts will perpetually be futile. Our works will never be enough. But in relationship, God says, come, I love you. I will tend to your wounds. God, in his infinite love and wisdom, desires to know you deeply and relationally. 
1 Peter 1, 18 to 20 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited of your, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. Communion, friends, is no empty ritual. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that we want to rush, get over with quickly so we can actually get a good dinner. As we participate by faith in the Lord's Supper, God moves through